This is Jim Miller, and Origins is back. Recently, I gave you a behind-the-curtain look into the groundbreaking comedy Curb Your Enthusiasm. Now, it's time to take you on another ride, one that's nearly 40 years in the making. Available now, the podcast series Origins with James Andrew Miller, Chapter 2, a deep exploration into the world of ESPN. In five different episodes, we will reveal previously unheard and unpredictable moments that turned ESPN from a ramshackle couple buildings into one of the greatest media success stories of all time. Spanning its early beginnings, its meteoric rise to its current challenge state, you'll hear from all the key players in front of the camera and behind. Look for Origins with James Andrew Miller on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you download your programs. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You've prepared an excellent menu for today. We're going to be talking awards and fake awards and taking some questions from our listeners. But first of all, I just want to say one thing quickly. The Philadelphia 76ers are lucky that we did not wait to tape our last podcast until after their (laughs) triple overtime loss to the Thunder, because I'm sure you saw that game, game of the year. I mean, it was completely, well, not really for quality of play, but just sort of the number of Yeah, I wouldn't call it the game of the year, but it was fun. The number of storylines going on were just absolutely insane, but... I thought it was unconscionable that Sixers coach Brett Brown left Joel Embiid on the court for nearly 50 minutes. This is a guy who was on a strict minutes limit all of last season, still broke down with injuries. This is a guy who uh, you know, hasn't been playing back-to-backs and has been getting mocked for that fact by his opponents all season long, whether it's Andre Drummond and other guys. Uh, this is a guy who was limping all over the court because he had back issues. He was being worked on by the trainer during the game. He's flying all over the court during triple overtime, seemingly losing control of his body at times. Granted, he played phenomenally. Granted, he's a competitor and and doesn't want to come off the court. I don't understand how you do that if you're the Sixers, especially given that they've already signed him to this long-term extension. They've already put the money on the table for him. What are they doing? Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I didn't think we were going to have a have an excuse to talk about it. But yeah, I was mystified when I saw like I, I had to do a double take looking at the box score, seeing that he actually played 49 minutes. And to me, like I, I think one of the reasons he probably played that much is because it was on national TV, because it was a thunder and they wanted to like. It was it was a moment for the Sixers, like the whole week. ESPN had like Sixers week, and it was sort of like the arrival of that team. And so I, I sort of understand why they would feel pressure to play him. But to me, I think it's almost a worse look to have a national audience looking in on the team like that and seeing them just completely mismanage and beat. Like, I just don't understand how anyone who's been around that team over the last two or three years could think it's okay to play him that much. And let's not forget that five days earlier, he missed, the, uh, I think it was the Pelicans game, he missed with a sore back. So it was like, it's not like this has just been smooth sailing for Embiid. And he was clutching his back in that Thunder game. So the whole thing, I, I was just mystified. Yeah, I thought if I just cooled off for the weekend, I'd come back with a more rational take on Monday. Guess what, Andrew? As you were talking, <laughs> all the rational parts of my it's brain really bad. escaped it's me. A, it's a massive red flag for them to play him that, that many minutes. It really is. And look, I understand why he would want to play in that game. He's trash-talking back and forth with Russell Westbrook. He's making some unbelievable yeah. block shots on Westbrook in that game. He's going mano a mano, and it's very difficult to tell a guy in that situation, hey— uh, you know, thanks, but we're just going to go ahead and take this loss because it's only mid-December, early December, and it's only one game out of 82, and we need to save you for the playoffs and whatever else. That is a tough ask for a coach, but that's why they're paying Brett Brown. This is his most important task as a coach is to manage Embiid's ramp up, and that was just totally, totally out of line. And go back, what would Pop do, right? I mean, if Brett Brown's this, this Pop disciple, is there any way Greg Popovich would have played MB in that situation for 49 minutes in a game that ultimately was meaningless. 
that's to, below the belt, though. You don't have to bring hey, Popovich into this look, to guilt trip Brett Brown. I, I, I absolutely do, because there needs to be a reality <laughs> check. I, just, I thought that was absolutely crazy. And look, well, in the moment, it's look, hard to tell him that. I would not want to be the bearer of that bad news. But maybe what you do at the end of regulation is you say, look, Joel, I'm going to play you the first overtime. Anything past that, you're done. Can we agree on that? I mean, you yeah. have to have some sort yeah, of a conversation there. It should just there. be sort of a set rule for everyone. And 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 part of the magic of Embiid, uh, or like certainly this year and even last year, is like you can play him 27 to 30 minutes a game, and he still sort of lifts everyone else on the roster. And so that's that's the the part that I'm I'm missing this year. It's like I for some reason they've just decided that like the limits don't matter as much anymore because he played I think more than 40 minutes against the Wolves on Tuesday night as well. And granted, like it's it gets you get into tricky territory when there's overtimes and everything else. But I don't know. Like I I yeah, think that's when you having, should be having him erring on the side of caution. That tricky territory, right? Yeah. Like if it starts to feel dicey and there he goes flying into the third row because he blocked a shot. And here he goes, like, you know, kind of stumbling around the court. He's holding his back. He's getting treatment during the game on the sideline. Come on, man. Like, let's take care of this And having him available for 70% of the minutes is so much more valuable than potentially losing him, even for, like, a three-week stretch. Like, we're not even worried about a season-long injury here. But, like, just having some of Embiid is is a huge win for the Sixers. And I like again, it's it's one of those things where I don't understand how people who've been in that building for the last couple of years could allow that to happen. But yeah, part of we it don't to need me to too, dwell on it too much. We don't, but part of it to me too is just the scene after that amazing Lakers game he had in LA where remember he had that big breakout and just absolutely crushed Julius Randle. They were all so excited after that game about the condition that he was in. And this wasn't even that long ago. It's like, wow, he held up for 30 plus minutes in two games out of three. Like we're ramping it up. He's showing right. progress. Great. Well, here's a good way to throw away all of those good feelings and all of that progress and all of that steady work over these last couple of years from Embiid. Protect this man from himself. Of course, he wants to be out there. That's the coach's job. And look, I've defended Brett Brown every turn throughout the process. I've never criticized him until this moment. Uh, I was, I don't want to say disgusted, but it was pretty close. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things. I don't think either one of us really care about the Sixers, but we care about Embiid. He's like one of the most valuable resources the NBA has. So don't fuck it up, Sixers. Come on. This is like, that was completely unacceptable. I'm glad you brought it up. I didn't think we were going to talk about it, but listen, We've got to talk about awards here. We've we've hit the first trimester mark, and I think it's a good time to just sort of take stock of where we are with some of these categories. And I've also made up an additional six categories for us. So you've actually written about this. I think you wrote about it like a week or two ago. Let's start with MVP. I don't want to do too I don't want to spend too much time on any of the big awards, but we can we can do five or ten minutes on MVP. I assume you're taking Harden. Well, you don't think Westbrook's going back to back this year? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's a tougher sell this year. No, it's Harden one, LeBron two, and I think it's a two man race right now. I don't see anybody else in that position. I mean, uh, Durant's been really good uh, since Curry went down. Really, really good. Kyrie Irving, obviously, if this was like a quarterly award, if we had done this maybe two or three weeks ago, I think he would have had yeah. really strong consideration based on Boston's big winning streak. Uh, you know, the, the Boston hipsters could throw in Horford and I wouldn't hate them for that. If you want to make the <laughs> argument that he was more all around important than uh, Kyrie, I, I'm with you. And then of course our, okay. our, our boy Giannis, uh, is on the short list, but to me, it's a two horse race. It's Harden and it's LeBron and I give it to Harden. I think they've just been better. They've been out of this world. Good. Everything starts with him. Uh, he's, uh, meshed seamlessly with CP3. He carried the bulk when CP3 was out and they're smacking teams. He's got the eye of the tiger this year, and I love it. I mean, it's so nice to see a guy that you bagged on, say, three or four years ago, and I was a pretty uh, big, hardened skeptic and critic uh, for some yeah. of the reasons that you still are, the playoff weaknesses and you know some of the internal drama they had with Dwight Howard. The light switch went off for James Harden, and he is really being his best self, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. We should clarify at the outset, like, if we're just making our picks here based on like the last 
two months and and literally like the first third of the season, then Harden's got to be MVP because he was unbelievable with Chris Paul out, and he was and the, like the Rockets are so much better than anyone would have expected. Even the Rockets believers could not have expected them to be quite this good. Uh, the thing that I wonder about is whether with Chris Paul back, whether that's going to hurt his case going forward. And I don't know if it really should. Like we get into this sort of nebulous territory where narratives get involved and it's, it's all a little bit stupid. But I mean, what LeBron has done is nearly as outrageous as anything Harden has done. And if he keeps this going all season, like LeBron has just owned fourth quarters for the Cavs. I don't have the specific numbers here for me, but it seems like the Cavs are in a close game in almost every game they play by the time they hit the fourth quarter. And then LeBron just sort of takes over for the final nine minutes. And if he keeps doing that all year and they win 55 or 60 games, it's going to be really hard to give the MVP to someone else because I think LeBron is still the better player between Bron and Harden. I hear what you're saying. He's owned fourth quarters. He's owned first, second, and third quarters too. The guy's been absolutely ridiculous. It's <laughs> it's so fun to watch him. I mean, this is kind of the, the best version. We talked about his ability to transition eras. Uh, it's yeah. too bad that LeBron didn't come in as a young player uh, into this era. Can you imagine like 2003, 4, 5, 6 LeBron in the spread era where everyone else is like around the oh three-point line? It would have just been yeah, absolutely Yeah, because early filthy. on... Early on, one of the things that was tough for him is he didn't really have the jumper, and that was an era like 2003 to 2010. There was still a lot of iso ball, and like pe- people wondered whether LeBron could be that like scorer who carried your team and closed out in crunch time. And now it's gotten e- it's gotten a little bit easier for him to just sort of do whatever he wants and control. Like he's the queen on the chessboard. I think that was a, a Kirk Goldsberry piece, like five years ago for Grantland. And it still is sort of the perfect analogy for LeBron because he just has every single move. For sure. And remember, like at the height of the Heat era, even they had a lot of non-shooters on the court. I mean, there were guys who really couldn't yeah. do anything, whether it's Haslam. I mean, even Wade was kind of a non-shooter and that's not a knock on Wade or even Miami's overall strategy because they had amazing offenses. But you know, he really didn't get into this super spread look until very recently. And for his own individual numbers, and just for the fun, you know, the entertainment value of watching him play, I mean, now is sort of the time to do it. Uh, it's going to be, I think, those two guys and maybe a Warriors representative, probably Durant. Uh, I, I see that being Durant's how Durant's been pretty unreal the last yeah. 10 days or so. I think that's really going to be how this race goes going forward. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see where do the uh, emotional voters go? Do they finally reward Harden after a couple of close where misses? Where did the Andrew Sharps go? We'll see. I don't know. Do, I, don't, I don't know where which way I'm leaning right now. Like, Do they give Harden his first or do they give LeBron the career recognition? I could see people probably going towards the career recognition thing for LeBron. Uh, so yeah. it, it's going to be a race that stays and endures all season long, as long as Cleveland keeps winning at this level. I mean, they kind of have to have a top three record in the East to me if LeBron's going to be in this MVP conversation, given how well Houston's played. Uh, and right now they're, they're at that point, and I expect them to continue to be at that point. I have to be careful with my MVP vote this year because if if Harden is really deserving and I and I vote for <laughs> someone else, like an enterprising Rockets fan could go through like the last two years of our podcast and transcribe various rants where it's clear that I'm just operating in bad faith toward the Rockets at all yeah. times. An uh, enterprising Rockets listener or myself, one of the two. We're, we're all watching you. We're on neighborhood watch over here. Better bring it. I have... I have one more thought on LeBron. Actually, two more thoughts. First of all, one of the things that's fun watching him this year is he is he's more confident than ever. And I guess it, it, it extends to last year as well. Like after winning that Warriors series two years ago, he really does not have a care in the world. Like he 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 understands that he's the best player in the league now, maybe the best player ever. And he just like he's at a level of confidence that I've never seen from him before. And so he takes certain shots where he's just like, yep, you guys can't do shit with me. And like, I I was at the wizards Cavs game on Sunday night and uh, he hit a couple shots down the stretch where it was really just sort of like, 
swagger on on a thousand percent from LeBron, and he has some of those moments in in every Cavs game. He did it to the Knicks earlier this year. Like I I don't know. It's a combination of of confidence and his jumper has gotten a little better, but it's pretty it's pretty great to watch. And the other thing with the Cavs is the one thing that I've noticed with LeBron teams over the last couple years is that when those teams are winning, they look like they're having more fun than anyone in the league. Uh, like the, the Cavs bench was just like, they were into it from the opening minutes against the Wizards. And at, at one point there was like a loose ball and 10 guys from the bench ran out to the court to help pick up J.R. Smith. And like watching Isaiah Thomas talk trash to the Wizards, Basically, the entire fourth quarter, he was standing up on the bench, just screaming at various Wizards players. And like it, the whole thing, it just looks so fun. And then the flip side of that is when LeBron's teams start to lose, they look more miserable than it seems possible for like an NBA team to be. Like everybody just has this sort of like grave tone in interviews. And so that's one of the things that I've enjoyed watching over the last couple of years is like, it it really is a roller coaster with him at all times. Like there's there's no team with higher highs and the and the lows get pretty dark too. Yeah, I prefer the manic rather than the depressive stage of. of yeah, the, it's fun. Yeah, it's it's not bad. All right, uh, next award. Okay, sixth man of the year. Now this is one of my favorite categories because it rewards the uh, shameless gunners across the league, and. I think I'm going to say Will Barton for six man, although Tyreek Evans is definitely in the mix, but I'm giving it to Will Barton because I think that the Nuggets season would have gone in the tank by now, if not for like a handful of crazy Will Barton games that have kept them alive. And then you're going to have like the usual suspects like Eric Gordon, I guess has to be in the mix. He's been starting for Houston some of the time. But uh, now that Chris Paul's back, he'll probably slide to that six-man role. But who do you have? Yeah, it's a really messy race because a guy like Jamal Crawford's not really playing that much up in Minnesota. Eric Gordon, you mentioned. Like, Lou Williams, I think, is probably deserving of being at or near the top. Um, But, you know, the Clippers are sort of non-factors. And now he's—isn't he starting now? He's been in and out of starting, yeah. Uh, most of his games, I think he would still qualify for sixth man at this point, but he's sort of done both. And then you mentioned Tyreek Evans, where like they could finish, you know, potentially with like the worst record in the West. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind be of pretty tough. bad. And then you even look it's at guys like that. You even look at guys like Iguodala, where you know he's in third or fourth gear this season, like a lot of them. So yeah. it's tough to make that like super smart guy argument. The one who I'd love to see it if he can just make like. 20 more game winners because he's already had a couple this year it'd be hilarious if Manu got back into this mix I mean he's not even really their sixth man but like closing games he's been unbelievable he had a great game winner over the weekend he's not going to be a serious candidate but that would be uh, an emotional guy I'd put on the honorable mention list I think at this point I'd go Lou Will but I I really don't like Come this on, award. no love for Will Barton no Just I hear throw you me a bone here I hear you you're sticking with your preseason pick I like that about you you know get your uh get your victory lap in that's good um, he's yeah. been solid, but you know, you can go a couple different ways with this one. Yeah. We don't really care about this one. <laughs> six, six man. We'll argue about this in April. We'll figure it out. Uh, coach of the year. This one's pretty clear, right? It's gotta be Brad Stevens. I thought you were going to say Dan Tony. Pretty clear. No. <laughs> Visionary <laughs> offensive Dan Tony system. got his love last year, man. We're good. We, we all watch the playoffs. Yeah, it's Stevens. For the first quarter or trimester, I think it's Stevens. I mean, we can go through all the lists. No Hayward. A totally upturned, uh, you know, roster and rotation. Lots of new faces. Getting the most out of young guys. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Uh, you know, getting Kyrie up to speed quickly. Getting him comfortable. Mm-hmm. Getting him playing uh, within a team concept. Avoiding all of the pitfalls that we were worried about. Uh, for all of those reasons, I think Stevens is a pretty, uh, pretty obvious and logical pick. And he was my preseason pick, so I- I'm happy about that one. Yeah, he was my preseason pick last year, and then things sort of. I, I like. I guess he, Stevens and and Popovich could win just about every year. Um, and Kerr too. Although the Warriors are are good enough and talented enough to sort of undermine him a little bit. But uh, but yeah, the Stevens just even transitioning the defense alone is uh kind of insane to me that 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 it's been able to work as well as it has. And yeah, he's he's got to win it. And I also think this is a good year for him to win because he's got sort of like the narrative behind him. And then, uh, and then we can go 
go back to our status quo of giving it to like the mediocre coach who surprises people um, because that's generally how the coach of the year works. But uh, for now, it's Stevens. Rookie of the year, Ben Simmons is pretty clearly running away with this. I think I still think it's a little unfair that like a redshirt rookie can win this award because it, it would be more fun to have like a year long debate between Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, but it's got to be Simmons. Yeah, I think it's Simmons. There's no question. Uh, the redshirt thing doesn't bother me. Remember, we fixed this award, though. We did it what the Rising Stars Award. I think it would still yeah. be Simmons if we went by our Rising Stars, which I think was like, what, under 21 or 22, whatever my criteria was, who's the best player at that point. Uh, yeah, and our, our take on that was basically that most years, the Rookie of the Year goes to a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Like, if you go back through the list of rookies of the year over the last like 10 or 15 years, it's generally someone underwhelming and it's not, it, it doesn't end up being the best player from a given draft class. And so if we, if we extended it to the rising star and it had to be, it, it was 22 and under, we would have much better debates every year. Um, but for now we're stuck with rookies. Yeah. So but, but, Simmons, but, Simmons has been really good. Yeah, both ways, whether it's Rookie of the Year or Rising Stars, Simmons is going to win it pretty handily. The Tatum versus Mitchell thing is getting more and more interesting. You know, at the quarter mark, I actually still had Kuzma in that third spot because he's just been so red hot, but there's no way you could stub Mitchell at this point. And, mm -hmm. you know, does Tatum have to miss a shot before we uh, say Mitchell passes him? I mean, the guy is shooting like some just ungodly percentage for the – uh, first couple of months of his season. And I really cannot remember that. I mean, obviously he is benefiting from their system. And I was watching them uh, last week and Kyrie was out. And all of a sudden, you know, both Tatum and Brown were taking much more difficult shots and trying to, you know, do the things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily normally need to do. Uh, and, and their numbers yeah. were maybe taking a little bit of a hit. But I can't remember a rookie, especially one as young as him, hitting the ground running and shooting the ball so well. I mean, what do we say over and over about guys? Well, you know, the shot will come, the shot will come, give it a couple of years. You know, this guy's got a good form. Uh, he'll get his numbers up, you know, by year three. I mean, Tatum, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, from that it's, standpoint. It's wild, man. Because, yeah. look, if you go back through history, like over the last five or six years, I don't think there's ever been a player that more draft experts were wrong about than Jason Tatum. And a huge part of it is that he shot 35% from three at Duke and people weren't sure how his jumper was going to translate to the NBA. And he's, I think still shooting 50% from three. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. He's shooting 50% from the field, 51% on threes and 83% from the free throw line. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, it, it defies everything that we thought we knew about him, about acclimation for young players to the league, just everything. And so I'd still give him the nod, I guess my point was, over Mitchell, although Mitchell is probably doing more to create his own offense and it probably plays a bigger role in terms of, uh, right. you know, on his team context, I'd still go Tatum. See, I would go Donovan Mitchell for this award. Like, I, he would be my second place rookie of the year but i think like if you're asking who would you rather have on your team over the next five to ten years like it is clearly tatum um and tatum's funny man because like do you remember when we were at summer league it was you me and rob mahoney who mahoney is pretty mild-mannered but we were talking about Tatum's game and Mahoney was just like, I don't know, man, I see Rudy Gay. I can't help it. I think that's where this is headed. Just sort of a low percentage ISO scorer who like needed a lot of usage to, to get his offense going. And it's just, and that's what a lot of people thought. Like he was not alone. We, I, you and I were making fun of Tatum through half the summer league games while Celtics fans were predicting like a future MVP because of his summer league performance, but he has just been so much better than I ever would have imagined. And uh, it just fits perfectly with where the league is going. So shout out to Danny Ainge, uh, another win. I, I, I don't okay. know. I <laughs> our, our summer league prognostications aren't always a hundred percent. That's okay. I'd say also in Tatum's defense to make him that number two spot. 
defensively, yeah. he's playing big minutes on an elite defense and they play at an elite level when he's on the court. So I give him a lot of credit for that too, because that's a tough position to guard. Uh, he's out there night to night. Uh, and you know, from that standpoint, you know, you can consider him sort of a two-way guy right now. Um, that's not a huge knock on Donovan Mitchell, but the jazz are significantly better defensively when Mitchell is off the court compared to when he's on. Um, but now we're classic Gulliver take. Now we're, now we're really digging deep into the rookie of the year (laughs) trimester award, but yeah. Uh, all right. Couple quick, quick ones, defensive player of the year and most improved, most improved has got to be Victor Oladipo. I think that that's the one Uh... award that we could just give to giveaway right now i i'd still go porzingis uh again a similar argument i mean two-way play Ooh, you know, i don't know man the thing with porzingis is the health i mean that's a, his star has kind yes. of uh dulled or dimmed a little bit here recently because he's kind of been in and out of the lineup but to me what porzingis has done in terms of breaking through uh as a main guy on a winning team offensively and defensively his impact is always going to be bigger than a player like oladipo so even though Oladipo is just shooting these crazy numbers, especially late in games, you know, hitting winners, uh, getting his scoring average way, way up in terms of the all around improvement uh, and which guy I think has made a bigger leap from year to year. uh, I'd still take Porzingis. So I'm speaking as a Porzingis fantasy owner here. The dude misses like one out of every four games. And it's also really frustrating because the Knicks are super vague about what's happening. So you really have no idea whether he's going to play until like five minutes before the game. But uh, speaking as a basketball journalist, yeah, I, I like he's been great. Um, and he's made a, a leap. And like, especially early on, he was able to stay just as efficient. And actually he got a little bit more efficient with like a much bigger workload, um, which I think, caught even the Porzingis believers off guard but yeah I want I want to see him stay healthy like and I'm not speak. I promise I'm not speaking as a fantasy owner here but like I want to see him stay healthy for two or three months before we like anoint him as the future um and to me Oladipo has just been like too incredible not to recognize and, and like this is sort of a random award so it's an award that exists to reward guys like Victor Oladipo. Um, so he's, yeah, he's it's, my pick. It's a delectable s- story, right? I mean, voters are going to be yeah. able to wrap their minds around it easily. I think it's going to come down to which one of those teams finishes with a better record. They're pretty close in the standings right now. And then poor Zingas's health. I think otherwise, you know, I, I do think there's going to be some regression from Oladipo. I think he's kind of, uh, you know, punching above his weight a little bit so far this season. You know, some of his numbers are probably going to come back to earth, but uh, he is going to be a, a candidate with staying power regardless uh, I think I just still think this is kind of like Porzingis is to lose. Like if he stays healthy, gets himself, you know, 70 games played or, or, you know, 68 games played and his scoring numbers where it's at, the Knicks are kind of in the playoffs. I mean, that's a pretty good story for voters, too. Sure. Uh, defensive player of the year is tough because Gobert has been hurt. Draymond has played really well when he's been in there, um, at least defensively, like offensively. He's been kind of a mess. And he's just been, he hasn't been the same Draymond for the first uh, trimester of this season. And now I think he's, he's going to miss a couple games because Kerr talked about just sort of shutting him down to let him get healthy for a little while. So what do you think? I mean, because I, I don't see that many other candidates out there. Well, also Kawhi. You, you mentioned Gobert being injured. Yeah, Kawhi Kawhi's missing the first, too. what, 30 games this season, 25 games is a, a tough one for this award. To me right now, it's Horford, uh, you know, just to recognize uh, Boston's overall uh, defensive success, or it's Draymond. And one thing I'd say about Draymond is I think he started a little bit slower, like his teammates, really early on, but I do think he's turned it on. There was one game when they played against, uh, you know, Detroit and our favorite root canal, Reggie Jackson, where I think Draymond had like two points, but he had six blocks. It was like one of the best two-point performances I'd ever seen in a basketball game. I mean, this guy was, yeah. you know, chesting up against the giant Boban, Boban in the middle, you know, trying to block his shots around the rim. And then he's racing out and swatting multiple jump shots, getting blocks on multiple jump shots on three-point shooters. I mean, he was just absolutely everywhere, uh, setting the tone like usual. I think Draymond probably hasn't gotten enough credit uh, for his uh, defensive impact this season. You know, we have seen it in past years, so it's not new. I think people might be taking him for granted a little bit. 
Uh, and I think the overall malaise around the Warriors is probably like working against him too. But uh, if you look at like the defensive real plus minus, you know, the advanced analytics on him, he's still completely off the charts. Golden State's worked its way back up to a top three defense at this point of the season. So I expect him to be there. I could easily see this coming down to Horford versus Draymond. Uh, basically, yeah. you know, that being a two-man race at the end of the season. I think it's just tough to separate how sloppy he has looked on offense from how dominant. Like, basically, if you're asking me who's the best defender in the NBA, I would definitely choose Draymond. But he's also just sort of been half-assing it for half the year. Um, and you just never really know, like, what version of him you're getting offensively. But sure, I think, like, given the lack of candidates... I'm not going to choose Al Horford over Draymond Green, um, even though like if we're if we're strictly talking hater. about the first two months, like the, Horford's been incredible. I I don't see Horford being able to keep that up through the end of the year. Um, one other guy let's to move to, to the fake categories no, here. One guy to put in this uh, discussion quickly: Paul George. Okay, uh, I've mentioned his activity level defensively. You saw it again over the weekend. I mean. Things really aren't working very well for them offensively. They, you know, they drop one to New York. Uh, you know, the Knicks' new big three of uh, Ron Baker and McDermott and Michael Beasley was just too much for Oklahoma City's big three. It was a tough one, but still, <laughs> <laughs> Paul George is out there. You know, tipping passes, getting in passing lanes, making steals, making lots of smart plays. He's really working on that end. Uh, the stats kind of back that up, and you know. We don't have, like, with no Kawhi, I feel like this is the time for George to really get his recognition uh, on that level. And for the same reason, uh, Kevin Durant, too. When you're looking at guys at that position who are kind of become all-around defensive players, uh, Durant and Paul George deserve a little love here uh, before Kawhi kind of comes back and takes everyone's, you know, defensive attention. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that would be a good way to recognize Durant because I don't see him cracking into the MVP race at this point. But uh, he's still like, I, I think he's averaging a couple blocks a game, a couple steals. Like he's been incredible. Um, least valuable player, Ben. Who do you have? Well, this is funny. This is a true story. So the very first name that came to my mind when you sent me this list was Moutier. And so I was okay. like, that's, I'm probably, I'm probably being mean. too harsh. His career is sort of borderline at this point. We don't was, want to be too mean. I was like, I'm probably being too harsh. Let me go consult the advanced stats. So I go to the real plus minus tables. He's actually dead last in the entire league behind every single player oh. in real plus <laughs> minus at this point. So I think that's a pretty compelling argument. If you want to go sort of a snarkier route, uh, Derek Rose, I mean, <laughs> okay, t- tough start to the season and the value that they were able to pull out of that position once he was no longer playing those minutes. Uh, it was night and day. It was very stark. Uh, and so from that standpoint, like absence definitely made the heart grow fonder. Uh, I think those are a couple of the guys I throw in this category. Yeah, and I think if you want to be technical about this, I, Moutier is probably the correct answer on this one because he just he's good enough so that you feel pressure to play him and and get him on the floor. But man, like if you look at some of those some of the lineup data in Denver, it's it's really tough for for them um, when he's out there. I for me, it came down to Russell Westbrook versus Carmelo Anthony. Wow! And I Shots don't think fired. you could give it to Russ. I I don't think you could call Russ least valuable. Although you're starting to see people picking up on the fact that he just does not move at all when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Literally puts his hands on his knees and just sits there, which is really unhealthy for the offense and even unhealthy for his own game. Like he could get easy buckets if he moved off the ball a little bit, but he just doesn't do it. Um, which definitely helps his case for least valuable. I also think there's a good conversation to be had about whether he is a hundred percent healthy because it's at a certain point, like he's the offense is just like fallen off a cliff from where it was last year um I mean he's still scoring but like the shooting has been awful he doesn't have quite the same explosion in some of these games um he still goes hard the entire time but it just seems like something's a little bit off but for me the way I the way I came at this is I thought I I thought about Carmelo and I thought about how screwed the Rockets would have been 
if they'd been able to pull off that Carmelo deal <laughs> in the middle of July <laughs> and how, how much that would have changed the Rockets narrative this year. I'm supposed so to be the main I, one. L- listen to you right you now. Know, <laughs> I really think that like because Carmelo not only is screwing up the Thunder, but would have screwed up what, what has turned into the best team in the NBA, I think he's got to be least valuable. Yeah, one thing I'd say about Russ in, in terms of his body, it's crazy how much energy he has, just raw energy late in games. Like in that triple overtime game, I mean, he was the last one standing. There's no doubt against yeah. guys who are five years younger than him. But in terms of his jumper, it's ugly. And usually you associate that with you know conditioning too, right? It's not like he changed his release or some, you know did something else. Right. I mean, you, does, does he have his legs under him? I mean, he's shooting 38% overall, 30% from three. I mean, that is so many misses when you're talking about a guy who's shooting 20 plus times a game uh, that mm-hmm. you really, there, there's no way to work around it. You can't even uh, try to accommodate or, you know, appease that and get a good offense. And their, you know, overall offensive numbers show in terms of Mello, uh, if you undo the trade uh, and just leave him in New York, which first of all, all the Knicks seasons would be ruined if they had kept Mello. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, <laughs> if you leave Canner uh, and McDermott in Oklahoma City, what do you think Oklahoma City's record is? I definitely think it's better because uh, I think George yeah. are getting more from him. I think Westbrook's more comfortable. He doesn't feel like he's constantly needing to defer to different egos. Uh, I think the whole thing, you know, they're definitely above 500 to me uh, under that well, scenario and, and, and probably think- by a few games. I think the argument from Thunder Nation would be that, yes, that team would be better now, but adding Carmelo sort of gave them an opportunity to raise their ceiling, and I think everybody knew yeah. that it was going to be more complicated early on. That argument's but, dead, uh, though. Come on, man. That argument's dead. Melo's <laughs> no, not raising not, your look, ceiling against anybody in the devil. playoffs. No, I hear you. That was yeah. the argument, and I could understand that argument, and I think you know I was kind of on board with it, especially because it meant getting rid of Cantor's contract. That argument's right. dead. I mean, they, there's no sure. ceiling to this group with Mello out there. I'm sorry. It's it's over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're with me on least valuable then because I'm not going to give it to Moutier because that's too mean. Well, hold on because I want to give you one more stat here on Moutier. When he's okay. off the court, they're a plus 9.6. Their offensive is elite. Their defense is good. When he is on the court, they are a minus 11.6. So we're talking about a 20 points per 100 possession <laughs> swing as soon as he steps on the court. I mean, that Nolan Smith story I told last week about just giving yeah. up a gigantic run, that's Moutier's life every single day. And their offense... Sometimes I see numbers like that, and I'm, I, I wonder, like, does Mike Malone see those numbers? And I, I just don't know how you continue to play someone after seeing the data be that stark you know like it's really tough to refute at a certain point no you just got to give that data to jameer nelson and ask him for his thoughts i would love to hear his candid thoughts about those numbers after the way things went down earlier this season but you look at the rest of their rotation by the way i mean there's nobody who's worse than basically a minus six who gets real minutes so moutier is nearly minus 12 everyone else on their team is minus six or better he is uh you know the awkward elbow sticking out i mean he's stop stop. he's the problem okay we got it (laughs) so from that standpoint Uh, i I think he's still in this conversation right there with Melo. the one good thing is at least he's on a rookie deal you know so you can make the argument you know Melo is even less valuable because you're paying him you know max level money that's true that's true Melo is due 28 million dollars next year which sort of really complicates the whole future for the Thunder because it makes it much harder to, to keep Paul George, even in the best-case scenario. Uh, but we'll come back to that. Worst coach. So I think you could make a good argument that Earl Watson hey, should win this award. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> subsequent success of the Suns. But for me, there is no coach. And we've been over Jason Kidd like too much this season. We don't need to talk that much more about Jason Kidd, but there's no coach that makes me upset on a more consistent basis than Jason Kidd. I mean, I definitely think the answer is Earl Watson. I was surprised that you came out. I thought I was going to be able to sneak that one in because I thought you might have forgotten about his era because it lasted three (laughs) games in like six days. Look, we can clown, and I did, Phoenix's management, ownership, their whole crew, and it's not like this turnaround since firing him has been all that amazing. But if you lose your team within three games, you're automatically the worst coach of the year, period. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tough. you just get this award. <laughs> not I only mean, well, not only did they lose did did he lose the team, 
but they also looked better immediately and still to this day, like they look like a credible NBA team, which they absolutely did not through that first week with Earl Watson and most of last year with Earl Watson, which sucks because Earl Watson seems like a great guy, but clearly was not pushing the right buttons in Phoenix. Yeah, let's not go overboard. I mean, they're still the second to worst offense. Our defense, they're still pretty bad everywhere, but they do yeah, resemble. Yeah, but they're not like an, an easy win for teams. Like teams actually have to have their shit together to to beat the Suns on at least fifty percent of the nights. Okay, fair enough. But that's a pretty low bar, and they definitely were not <laughs> yeah, clearing look, it with Earl Watson. The so wolves, I'm with you. The Wolves have lost to the Suns, and the Wizards have lost to the Suns. So I don't know what that says about the Wolves and Wizards. Um, worst if, take. If, Did you have an answer there? Well, I'll I'll be there with you on Jason Kidd. By the way, I mean he's probably been my okay. least favorite coach this year because again, you know they're mired in a losing streak for some reason. They're hovering around 500. What is happening? Giannis is doing everything you can possibly do. You injected a nice piece with a great trade to get Eric Bledsoe. Come on, guys, let's figure this out. Um, he has been the one who kind of grinds my gears the most of any coach this season. Good. Um, do you have an answer for worst take? This was pretty open-ended, so you could have chosen your own worst take. Oh, you could have on. chosen one of my worst takes. Well, I'm what curious. Do you, what me. do you think I would do? Would I choose one of my <laughs> takes or would I choose one of your takes? Obviously, I, would I don't choose know. One You're of your big takes. on accountability, so I would I would like to think that you would choose one of your own, but I'm sure you use this as an opportunity to take a shot at me. I think the worst takes came two weeks into the season when it was <laughs> the, the finals are rolling through Boston and Cleveland's in serious jeopardy. I That okay. whole period, I understood it. I got the impulse. There were clear red flags on the court with Cle- how Cleveland was playing, um, but it just bothered me so much that everyone just ran to do that again, and you were really leading the charge, frankly. I almost blame all of it on you for how scared you were <laughs> about the Cavaliers and LeBron James, and you know, from that standpoint, uh, I will nominate you for worst take, but the worst line I said all year on this podcast, I think, was, boy, we haven't heard LeBron James in the MVP conversation very much, which actually happened around the same time, two weeks into the season, that was silly. I should have known better than to you know, slander LeBron and write him off after 10 games. Of course, he's right back in the MVP conversation, not even you know, basically a month and a half later. Uh, so from that standpoint, I think the worst take was everyone racing to say that Kyrie made the right decision to bail on Cleveland, even though Cleveland's been very strong since then. Yes. Uh, I, I like that nomination. I First of all, I was never arguing that the Celtics were the finals favorites. But I think that was the worst collective take when it became like the the road to the finals goes through Boston. That was very rough and, and something that like I don't have a single friend that took any of that seriously. But I guess people did. People really did think that the Celtics were like the team to beat. And it's clearly Cleveland. Although the Celtics will be in the mix. Um, and... I don't even feel bad about doubting the Cavs because it's just something I do every year now. <laughs> it's like because they they put together these shitty rosters. Like I'm sorry that I didn't believe in Dwayne Wade in year 15 and Jeff Green and like Kyle Korver. I I'm not gonna apologize for any of that. Um, but uh, but LeBron can make it work because that's what he does. So um, and as far as my worst take, I think. I, we're forgetting the Sixers takes because we were both very, very down on the Sixers coming into the year. I think I said people should take out a second loan on their house to bet the Sixers under, which was I think the over under was forty. And um, look, that they may not they may not win more than like forty two or forty three games, but the the over under bet people are going to be sweating hard on that one if they took the under. So. That's my worst take. Um, should we talk best but beef? See, did you have any nominations there? I do, but your your take isn't worse than what Brett Brown just did. So I think we should absolve you on that <laughs> one. True. I mean, you didn't play Embiid 49 minutes, so you're good. Yeah, Don't even you worry never about know. it. You and never by the know. way, Embiid. they're at 500 right now. You know, so it's not like these guys are the th- the three seed in the in the Eastern Conference. I mean, that one st- still could pay off for you. So. Um, Obviously, we would hope that they make the playoffs. I mean, the ideal scenario is Cavs Sixers first round, however that shakes out. I mean, that is really what we're all hoping for. But um, I don't think that they're guaranteed one way or the other at this point. In terms of the best beefs, though, 
I mean, there's been a lot like Kevin Durant versus the entire world, just an ongoing beef, lots of drama <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Kevin Durant versus faceless trolls. That that should probably be the winner. I mean, uh, Kawhi Leonard versus you know reality. I'm glad he's finally back, but it really seemed like he was just gone there for like three months. That wasn't great. The best beef, though, I, it's obvious. It's LeBron versus Kyrie. It's come through in so many different passive aggressive ways. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. I will just say this. My favorite development recently is very, very dad LeBron development where, you know, he's smarting from Kyrie leaving him. There's no question about it to me that he it really pains him that Kyrie decided Mm -hmm. to leave. So now he's doing the big brother stuff on Instagram in the captions, in the comments to various people. Like I think he called Donovan Mitchell young king. Uh, I think yeah, he's, he's doing he, that to half the league. He's, he, he's he's called Ben Simmons Young King. He's called Donovan Mitchell Young King. I mean, he and threw, Lonzo Ball. Yeah, he threw a birthday party for Lonzo on social media. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah, such it's o- weird. <laughs> it's such obvious compensation. You know, it's like, oh, Kyrie's gonna uh, you know, leave me. Okay, I'm gonna just rack up like a harem of young players that I'm going to uh, <laughs> y- use as my younger brothers. So. Uh, from that standpoint, it's just endlessly fascinating. And then Ky- Kyrie is his own thing. I mean, his side of it just going wacko uh, for three months straight is, has been entertaining too. But the LeBron uh, paternalistic uh, fostering of relationships around the league is, has really been my favorite aspect of that beef. Okay. Uh, I think you, you forgot Rick Carlisle versus Nerlens Noel has been like a cold war. And it's been really great to watch them take passive aggressive shots at each other. For the last three months, um, Joel Embiid starts a new war on a weekly basis at this point. And I, that's one, it'll be really interesting to see when someone gets legitimately pissed off at him. Like, we haven't hit a real beef with Joel Embiid yet, but I think it's coming. Uh, he was very close with Westbrook. Um, and had that been like a playoff series, definitely like. After two or three games, Westbrook would have been ready to murder him. Um, but I think the winner for me is probably Bobby Portis versus Nikola Mirotic. Oh, an Be- obvious only one. Only because, uh, yeah, like, that. that is that's arguably too obvious for best beef. But what I love most about it is how they are now the the two bright spots for the Bulls. Both of them are playing pretty well. And Miritic still refuses to speak to Bobby Portis. And it's just like this ongoing thing that everyone in Chicago knows about. And uh, everyone is uh, like, I guess, cool with the fact that Miritic is just not going to speak to Portis all year and it's never going to get resolved. Um, well, look, Andrew, it's kind of I mean, a throwback. We've always said competitive practices really brings the best out of everybody, right? I mean, that's just one of those <laughs> age old basketball lessons, you know, maybe got a little too heated, but it's great to see everyone thriving. Uh, no, that one, it still feels like somebody needs to be traded, right? I mean, yeah, th- this can't and, just and, go but, on forever. But no one's getting traded. Like everyone's just sort of like, all right, well, here we are. Um, anyways, they, the best troll, uh, is another award. And I, I invented this category because I think we need to recognize Greg Popovich for his trolling brilliance after the NBA comes out with this, like, new rest policy on back-to-backs and all these new regulations Popovich just opens the year by sitting Kawhi Leonard for two fucking months to wait and and basically waited until Christmas to roll him out and look I get it that Kawhi was probably injured but I prefer to think of this as Pop's giant middle finger to the NBA and their rest policy that's a great take. I went, I'm just going to go back quickly to Embiid as my biggest troll. I think you mentioned okay. how he's got all these different uh, wars going on. What I really like about it, Embiid, though, is it's sort of like he's running his trash talk by a statistical analyst. Like a few years ago, Kevin Durant like hired someone or, or had like a consultant who helped him learn like the most efficient spots on the court he should be shooting. And this has really become like yeah, a, huge, I remember a, that. a huge new wave movement where like guys like Steph and other guys are really fine tuning their game with the help uh, of consultants. I feel like that's happening with Embiid and his trash talk. Like he'll go at Westbrook for taking <laughs> 33 shots. He was mocking uh, Carl Anthony Towns' defense, uh, you know, in a, a back and forth on Instagram. I mean, he just has these darts and they're always statistically sound. I mean, they're they're never wrong. 
And I just appreciate that. I mean, it's one thing to, to name call. It's another to really go out of guy's specific weaknesses. He was going at Drummond. Uh, I just love it. And especially when he's going after guys who don't play defense, because that just appeals right to me. You know, of course, I want the complete players. Of course, I want the two-way impact guys. And it seems like MB yeah. does too. And so I think for that reason, uh, I have really done a 180 on him. I didn't think he was funny at all last year, but I'm all in now. Yeah, man. I We talked about this last week. Uh offline but like I think what's great about Embiid is that he's genuinely smart he's not just athlete smart like I I would bet that he is one of the five or six smartest players in the entire league and like so he's he's normal person funny which is pretty rare um and watching him go back and forth with these guys is ridiculous and again it's one of those things where it's been really fun to watch but I can't wait to see what happens when like a another NBA star just flips out and is, is not cool with the joke. Like if I were Carl Towns and he were making fun of my defense publicly, that would be a bridge too far for me. And I would be like, fuck off Joel Embiid. But like that hasn't happened so far. Well, that's the whole point of trolling, right? Himself. That's, yeah. that's the whole point of trolling. So he's he's got it. He's got you in your own head. Or if you lash out, then he's got the whole world <laughs> laughing at you. I and mean, he's a master. Let's give it to him. Yeah. Um, all right. Two more categories here. Worst contract. This is something I threw in just because I, I I started to think about the number of teams around the league who would be potential contenders only to see their like future derailed by contracts in the summer of uh, 2016, I think it was. So would you say the worst contract between Jan Mahenmi, Evan Turner... Chandler Parsons, Ryan Anderson. Who would you take? Uh, it's Evan Turner, and I didn't even want to play your little game of this short list where you're limiting me to three because I went the entire <laughs> league. I think Evan Turner is is clearly the worst of that group, and I think he's clearly the worst overall. Uh, it was a bad deal at the time. It, it's made even worse by how passionately they defended it. You know, I mean, they were really yeah. coming out hard, guns blazing about what a great move was, knowing they had two max contracts on the books for Lillard and McCollum, they had to nail that signing. That guy had to be a legit number three guy playing huge minutes, uh, complimenting the stars. It's tough, yeah. And, and Turner doesn't do any of those things. On top of that, the Blazers continue again this season to play way better with him off the court than when he's on the court. And we went through some of their issues on the last podcast. We mentioned, oh, they don't have a lot of depth. Uh, you know, Can we really trust their defensive numbers early? The offense really hasn't been in sync this year. We were mocking guys like Connaughton, you know, for being too high up in the rotation. Well, one name we didn't even mention was Evan Turner. We didn't even say his name. And a lot of those issues that we talked about, if they had just spent that money more wisely on one of their obvious flaws, uh, they would not have these kinds of uh, problems that they've got currently. And on top of that, it complicates the situation going forward with guys like Yusuf Nurkic, where uh, if he is good... You know, usually you would just go ahead and pay him and keep rolling uh, with him into the future. But uh, there's a situation where like they decide, well, we still can't trade Turner. Now we have to make a choice on Nurkic. Maybe we can try to get by with some of these young centers or, you know, their thinking is going to be influenced about their next big financial commitments because they've got Turner stuck on the bench. And uh, I'm not sure you can necessarily say that about those other guys, whether it's Mahinmi or, or Anderson. And by the way, I don't think Anderson should be in this. He's been really solid he, this year for Houston. Uh, he's overpaid. There's no question, but he is not like blighting their whole outlook. Uh, you're right. You're to right. Any stretch. Ryan Anderson is not Mahinmi Chandler Parsons level, um, but he still is going to be a big deal that they're going to have to move if they want to build beyond this year yeah and actually um, and Parsons it, Parsons might have a better argument than Turner for some of the same reasons I mean he has to be that number three guy he hasn't been uh, able to do that they've got thing. all these depth issues their season has already fallen apart they had to fire the coach they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league I mean at least Portland has kind of been able to get by as a good or you know slightly above average team with Turner dragging them down Parsons it kind of sunk the whole thing so yeah, uh, th- that's a interesting contrast. You can make it. You can make a case that Parsons is worse than Turner. Yeah, uh, Parsons and Turner are two contracts that, like, almost single handedly short circuited would be contenders. Um, and it, it's one of those things where, like, I would love to read 
a long read. Maybe one of us should write it. Uh, like just talk to executives around the league about that summer because at the time everybody kept saying like the cap's going up, like these contracts will start to look normal. And then it just didn't happen. And I don't understand how all of like the NBA intelligentsia could get that so wrong. Like we, I, I didn't read any writer being like, you know what? Next year could be tighter and these contracts could look a lot worse than they do right now. Um, there was just, everybody was sort of throwing caution to the wind on that stuff. You're Uh, outlining like every financial book ever written about bubbles. It's hilarious. Like, I'm pretty sure I've read a Michael Lewis book about the housing market that had that exact analysis. I want to read, I want to read a Michael Lewis book about the summer of 2016 and the Jan Mahinmi contract and Chandler Parsons making $110 million or whatever the number is. Like, explain that to me, go in depth. For sure. I mean, when times are that good and the salary cap keeps rising that fast, I mean, man, you know, people just feel like it's going to go on forever and it clearly didn't. Um, yeah. Who else did you have on your list? Um, I would I would choose probably Chandler Parsons, although that's that's not fair because he's had injuries, although like he had injuries when the Grizz signed him. So maybe it is fair. Um, but Evan Turner is in the mix as well. And Mahinmi hits pretty close to home, but he's got he's got to be in the conversation for worst contract. Uh, but we, should we move on to fakest NBA player, our final award? And well, I didn't explain this to you whatsoever, so I'm curious which direction you went. Uh, I'm actually I'm I'm tap dancing on this one because that's a real that's a hard uh, you know superlative to be throwing <laughs> out there at guys. I mean, I think. The most disingenuous NBA player, it's Kyrie Irving. It still bothers me uh, how he how he's presenting himself, especially in this climate of all the fake news and all this. He's just on the wrong side of history. And what bugs me is he thinks he's on the right side of history. He thinks he's woke. He's got that all-seeing eye on his shoe. He's got it on his Instagram page. Uh, you're part of the problem, Kyrie. You are. And until you yes, and recognize we're that... you're also part of the problem for promoting him and his coffee shop Kyrie brand, but yeah. that's fine. So to me, uh, that's my answer. And I want to leave it there. I don't want to be taking tons of additional digs. Although if we want to get back on the Moody subject, I'm glad to, to give you some more on-off stats uh, on him. But you know, <laughs> it, th- this feels a little bit like character assassination. Yes. Uh, well, I realized before... like two minutes before calling you for this podcast that you might have interpreted that as most disingenuous NBA player. And that's not what I meant. (laughs) What I meant is like most fake news NBA player. Like this is not a real person, most random name in the NBA, but I enjoy that you took it in the disingenuous uh, direction. For me, I was, I was looking for most random name on an NBA roster and my, I have several Wait, nominations here. Can for I, you. can I guess one of them right off the top? Yes, Maxi Kleiber. <laughs> Maxi Kleiber is my winner because nailed it as a fa- yes, as a fantasy basketball player, I've been checking the waiver wire and saw someone named Maximilian Kleiber or Kleiber put up 21 points on the, and he hit like four threes, had some blocks. And I just had never heard of this person in my life. He might as well be like, my theory is that he's like a a younger cousin of Dirk Nowitzki that was signed as a favor to Dirk, but apparently he's a real player and is getting like 30 minutes a game for Rick Carlisle, which he's is like, perfect. He's like one of Holger, the shooting coaches, other clients. It's like, <laughs> exactly. a pa- it's like a package deal. Yeah, that's that's what I'm choosing to believe about Maxi Kleiber. Uh and then the the Hawks have really been throwing out some some random names so far this year. You've got Josh McGetty, you've got Tyler Kavanaugh, and you've got Isaiah Taylor. Three people who I just have no idea where they came from or how they got to the NBA. Well, I would have loved for you to have explained this category because I could have uh, thrown some back. <laughs> I feel like the Clippers bench has a lot of these guys. I mean, they've been using the two-way players because they've been yeah. uh, uh, they've been injured, but they've got like, I mean, Willie Reed's actually a pretty good player, but they've got a, a Willie Reed, CJ Williams, Jamal Wilson. I mean, it's very easy to just kind of like confuse all those guys together into one giant like 
uh, will uh, suit. <laughs> Random G League call up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think the obvious winner here is Maxi. I mean, I, this is his award. I, I think he's got a lot of staying power. You know, I think there's going to be waves of people <laughs> discovering who he is as Dallas, you know, plays Friends a couple of times yeah. on, uh, no, th- on this national was, TV. This was just a, a category conceived to recognize Maxi Kleber. So um, I, I appreciate you playing along, and I, I also appreciate you throwing some shade at Kyrie along the way. Uh, so what do you think? Should we call it now and save some of these questions for later this week? Sounds great. We have some amazing questions already in the bank, but if you want to add more questions uh, to that stockpile, go ahead and email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Andrew, they should also go to Apple Podcasts and give us five-star reviews. We love it. We're almost to 10,000. Christmas is next week. It's just fantastic to make such a nice run up that mountain uh, during the holiday season. Thank you guys for all your support. Ben.Golver on Instagram. Andrew, I will talk to you later this week. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.